You're listening to the podcast of the Biopharmaceutical Section of the American Statistical Association. Statistics. 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 Hi, folks, and welcome to the show. This is Richard Zink, and you're listening to the podcast of the Biopharmaceutical Section of the American Statistical Association. This is episode 41, and today I'm talking all things health policy with Liz Stewart, professor in the Department of Mental Health at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. That's right, we talk about the health policy statistics section of the ASA, the upcoming 2018 International Conference on Health Policy Statistics, as well as some of the major topic areas of focus for health policy statistics in general. It's also good to hear about some of the overlaps with the biopharmaceutical section in topics and methodologies. It was a good conversation. And as a reminder for these discussions, please note that people are sharing their personal opinions, so please don't overinterpret their comments as representing the groups or organizations with which they participate. Now let's start the show. Hi folks, today we are talking all things health policy with Liz Stewart, professor in the Department of Mental Health, the Department of Biostatistics, and the Department of Health Policy and Management of the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. She's also Associate Dean for Education. Liz is also the Chair of the Outreach Committee for the 2018 International Conference on Health Policy Statistics. Good afternoon, Liz. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's get to know a little bit about you before we dive into topics about health policy. How did you become interested in statistics? Yeah, I'd be happy to go back in time. I, um, going a fairly long way back, uh, when I, I was a math major undergrad, I did my undergrad degree at Smith College and pretty much kind of pure math at that point in time, but I always knew I wanted to somehow apply math to sort of social sciences or public policy, but I didn't actually really know what that meant. Uh, you know, I didn't actually, I know this sounds weird now, but I didn't really even know that public health or statistics existed. <laughs> I didn't take a single statistics class. Uh, you know, it was a small liberal arts college. So it's pretty ironic because I'm now a professor of statistics in the School of Public Health, which is, has ended up being a perfect fit for me, but not one I ever would have been able to think of <laughs> when I was back in college. So the way I kind of got there was leaving college. I didn't want to go to graduate school straight away in part because I wasn't quite sure how to kind of do what I eventually wanted to do. You know, I, I, I knew that a math PhD didn't quite feel right. And so I went and worked for two years at Mathematica Policy Research, which is a public policy research firm. I was based in Princeton, New Jersey. Uh, and it was there that I sort of discovered statistics and the use of statistics and data analysis for public policy questions. I then went and did my PhD in statistics at Harvard, working with Don Rubin as my advisor, mostly because I knew that he worked in the sort of general, broad, social science kind of public policy areas that I cared about. Mm -hmm. At the time, that was mostly more education. And after graduate school, I went back and I went back to Mathematica, actually, for two years. But then I had this opportunity at Hopkins come up, and I moved there in 2006. 
Wait, sorry. Yeah, 2006. And that was prompted actually because of my education work. So uh, the Department of Mental Health was looking for sort of a statistician who could sort of serve as a bridge between biostatistics and mental health. And they, um, people in the department, do a lot of school-based intervention studies of like behavioral programs for kids. So they hired me, uh, and I've now been at Hopkins 11 years, which has been great. And sort of over that time, I've moved and sort of become fully enmeshed in more of the health policy and sort of mental health, public health kind of world. So that's kind of the long story of how I got from kind of pure math to a much more applied uh, health policy kind of area. Well, it seems like you've had an interest in policy since the beginning. So where did that interest in health policy sort of come from? Or what was it about health policy that you found attractive in terms of applying your mathematical skills? Yeah, that's a good question. I This is going to sound totally cheesy, and my friends in college used to make fun of me, but I um, would say that I like wanted to save the world through math. <laughs> um, and, you know, I sort of always had this desire to kind of work to make the world a better place, but I also was very attracted to math and now statistics. And so I think I sort of view public policy and health policy as a venue for doing that, that sort of um, being able to use data and statistical methods to inform policy and uh, either public policy, public health, uh, health policy kinds of questions um, is very motivating to me. It just felt like a really... Um, good way to be able to contribute in the in the ways that I wanted to. No, that sounds, uh, that's great. Uh, nothing cheesy about that at all. <laughs> well, can you give us a little bit more detail about your numerous responsibilities at Johns Hopkins? Sure. Um, yeah, it's a little bit overwhelming sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, but I really enjoy everything I do day to day. Um, so I am a professor in three departments, as, as you noted. My primary appointment is mental health, and then I have kind of, in some sense, courtesy joint appointments in biostatistics and health policy and management. The course I teach, though, does get taught out of biostatistics, so I have a pretty strong joint appointment uh, with Biostat. I also, for the past year or so, have been serving as associate dean for education, and what the way kind of the dean pulled me into that is that he wanted someone who could help think through how we can use data and research to better inform how we teach. So mm-hmm. it's actually nicely related to my broader interests and in sort of how can we, how can the school, you know, the way he framed it was as a school, we do research all the time, but we almost never do research on our core educational mission. So kind of my role is to help improve that and help think through how we can use data and research for our educational program. I'm also uh, <laughs> leading an, what we're calling the evidence work group for a new initiative at the school called the Bloomberg American Health Initiative, which is funded by an endowment gift from Bloomberg Philanthropies with the goal of improving public health across the U.S. And I'm leading this evidence group, which will aim to sort of serve as sort of a support for more topic area groups and sort of really have my group is sort of going to try to have a real voice in terms of how do we make sure research is done that's high quality, how do we communicate research and evidence to the public or to policymakers, that kind of thing. Day-to-day, sort of the way my time gets allocated, Hopkins School of Public Health is what's called a soft money environment, so we most of our funding comes from research grants. So it's sort of easy because we have different chunks of time that are supported by different things. So my basically my teaching and sort of mentoring and general 
general administrative sort of stuff covers about is about 25% of my time. Mm-hmm. I spend about 25% of my time as dean, sort of in my dean role, and then that leaves about 50% of my time for grant-funded research, which is a combination of my own sort of methodological research as well as collaborative projects with other people where I'm serving as a collaborating statistician. Very good. It sounds like you're uh, squeezing a lot into that 100% of time. I think (laughs) there might be another uh, 10 or 20% in there somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, at least. Well, you're uh, the chair of the outreach committee for the 2018 International Conference on Health Policy Statistics. Before we talk about that conference, can you give us a brief history of the health policy statistics section of the ASA? So HPSS, Health Policy Statistics Section, was formed in the early 1990s, and that was a time when health services research and what's called outcomes research was growing really quickly. The first chair was a man named Jimmy Ifford, and then there's a group of of other individuals who were involved then and have really continued to be heavily involved, including Ralph D'Agostino, Constantine Gatsonis, Arlene Ash, Sharon Lee Norman, Stephen Cohen, and Paula Deere. The mandate of the section uh, was to focus on strategies for improving quality and reducing the cost of healthcare in the U.S. and abroad through systematic use of quantitative statistical methods. Um, and again, sort of, I think it was sort of grew out of a time when there was increasing attention being paid to the high cost of healthcare in the United States and a desire, again, to sort of use statistics uh, and data to sort of help understand that and to improve quality of care, and and hopefully also reduce costs. The section now has about 700 members, which I guess makes it sort of a medium-sized section within the American Statistical Association. But it's a very active section, and uh, I think we'll talk more about that. But there's a lot of involvement of section members in the scientific program, also with the um, American Statistical Association policy efforts, for example, some recent efforts around the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality and also some dissemination of methods and policy topics. What are some of the major activities of the section uh, in terms of uh, webinars, mentoring? Uh, there's obviously a conference. I'll first talk about the conferences, and we'll come, we'll come back to ICHPS quite a bit. But in general, HPSS has, you know, kind of fairly standard uh, ASA section activities at JSM, at the Joint Statistical Meetings. HPSS organizes the scientific program, as well as a Wednesday lunch speaker event, and then also a reception and mixer. There's also the International Conference on Health Policy Statistics, which is organized by HPSS, and that's what we'll continue to talk more about. The section also has a journal called the Journal of Health Services and Outcomes Research Methodology, now published by Springer, and it's really meant as a journal for the kind of work that people in the section might do. So again, sort of statistical methods related to the study of health services research. There is, the section does some amount of coordinating with government health policy agencies, such as the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, called ARC, and other public health organizations, such as the American Public Health Association. I now, for example, as one example of this, I currently serve on a panel for the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, PCORI, and that my involvement with PCORI kind of grew out of PCORI reaching out to HPSS and asking for nominations of people to serve on PCORI panels. 
So those sorts of coordinations and just general networking. The section also has um, some student travel awards. So any students that are listening, uh, I would encourage you to look into those for both JSM and for ICHPS and some other mentoring activities. And then finally, there's two awards that the section administers. They're both awards for work in health policy statistics. Uh, there's a mid-career award. I forget the, the definition of mid-career. It's something like less than 10 years post-PhD. Mm-hmm. And a lifetime achievement award. And those are both given out, I think, about every two years. Uh, we've actually just announced the call for nominations for both of those. And those will both be given out at the conference in January of 2018. So you could also, any listeners should think about whether they know someone who might be a good candidate for one of those awards. I take it that you have a lot of student involvement then with the the particular awards and presentations that may go on at uh, JSN? We do. And and one sort of, this might come up as we continue talking, but one thing that's sort of fun about the section, it's it's a very interdisciplinary section. And so there's people, students, and faculty and other researchers and employees at different sorts of firms. And there might be economists, there might be health policy students, statistics students, again, sort of from a whole variety of different types of um, departments and fields. Well, what are some of the current major areas of concern in, in and around health policy? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think any two people you talk to might give you completely different answers, but I'll, I'll give you some of my thoughts on this. You know, anyone who's following the news at all would, would recognize that a huge topic right now uh, is the Affordable Care Act, uh, also known as Obamacare, and the potential repeal and replace efforts uh, going on in Congress right now. So certainly there's a lot of research and questions around large-scale policies and special federal policies like that. There's also various state, sort of more local questions around how should states set up their health care systems. Vermont, for example, has a single-payer system. And so lots of really interesting questions about the effects of these different types of sort of ways of setting up insurance and other health care systems. The opioid crisis also is something anyone who's following the news Mm -hmm. I'm sure has seen things about. And there's interesting questions for health policy there in terms of access to medications, access to treatment. There's a lot of debate about medication-assisted treatment. So there's questions that statisticians can help answer in terms of both documenting the scale of the crisis, studying factors that might contribute to it, studying things that might help solve it. There's And then a third sort of major topic right now sort of in the U.S. in general is prescription drug pricing, and that might be one that some of the listeners in particular have thought about. But, you know, just general questions around prescription drug prices and medical costs in general and, and studying those using using data. Generally, there's sort of lots of other, well, I guess maybe the fourth sort of large-scale topic I'd mention, and then I'll get into a few more details, are movements around sort of more flexible payment models. So there's in a lot of markets, a lot of health insurers, for example, are uh, are moving towards models where rather than paying for every service that a given individual receives, a provider is, or even an insurer in some cases, is getting money based on keeping that person healthy. So uh, Mm -hmm. the idea is to sort of try to move more towards a, a model of public health and trying to keep people healthy not necessarily just pay for every procedure that someone receives, because in fact, 
the whole system is probably better off if we can avoid <laughs> a lot of medical treatment by, you know, having people have better care mm-hmm. in general. There, sort of more statistically, there's some really interesting questions and interest in heterogeneity of treatment effects and personalized medicine. So mm-hmm. kind of this idea of trying to personalize treatments for different individuals and how do we study that. And there's uh, a lot of interest in patient-centered outcomes research, which is thinking more from a patient perspective of in terms of the measures to look at, the study designs to use. Um, there's some really interesting statistical questions around that. One of the co-chairs of the ICHPS conference is Laura Lee Johnson, who has especially a lot of interest and work in that area. And then just two other sort of big picture things that are kind of on people's radar screens is environmental health and sort of the effects of maybe, you know, like environmental regulations and policies around Mm -hmm. environmental factors, Uh, and then health disparities and how um, different factors might contribute to health disparities, whether it's across socioeconomic status or race or other or other factors. So lots of potential topics. <laughs> All very challenging, I can imagine. As far as uh, question number six, do you still have other statistical challenges? You mentioned some of them. Yeah, I'll mention uh, a few particular statistical challenges that come up. I alluded to some of them. I would say one is that for health policy in particular is you almost can have a randomized policies. <laughs> so we, you know, we're often taught, oh, well, if you want to estimate causal effects, you know, you should do a randomized experiment. But, you know, states are not going to agree to be randomized to different healthcare policies. So we can't randomize, but we can then instead think about other kind of alternative designs and study the statistical properties of those. So maybe we can Think about instrumental variables analyses that, in some sense, think of randomizing something else, maybe randomizing something that then leads to the thing we really care about. Mm-hmm. Or health policy often uses more like interrupted time series kinds of methods where you might be able to take advantage of data that cuts both across time and space. So maybe there's multiple states and there's longitudinal data and sort of statistical questions around how to best model and use that data to estimate the effects of different policies. More and more, there's, like so many other fields, there's sort of, quote, big data in health policy. Uh, There's administrative data such as electronic health records that people are trying to take better advantage of. You know, there, there's both the kind of just how do you kind of make sense of that data, how do you think about the data quality, so different measures within the EHR system, Mm -hmm. Uh, how do we think about whether they're measuring what they should be, how do we address for measurement error. People also want to try to figure out ways to take advantage of the text comments that a physician might write into the EHR, and so different statistical questions around measurement and that kind of thing. And then finally, another challenge that comes up a lot relates to clustering and sort of the hierarchical nature of a lot of the data sets. So you often have, you know, maybe patients clustered within physicians, clustered within hospitals, clustered within counties, clustered within regions, uh, and we can go from there. So sort of thinking about how to best model this complicated structure and take into account all of that, those different levels can be really important. Well, are there regulatory processes similar to medical product approval through the FDA that govern the data and analyses used to motivate or or change health policy? 
Or is it just a matter of, so when you do an analysis based on some data, how does it get evaluated for whether or not it addresses a particular issue and how well it addresses it before the policy is sort of changed? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it is a little bit of a different animal. There isn't, there isn't really sort of a formal process for, or, or one entity, one agency, let's say, um, that kind of governs that and that sort of has this approval process. So I think the field in general relies much more on peer review and uh, journals. Um, there are a few agencies. I've mentioned the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, mm-hmm. uh, and they do fund a lot of um, we call it like evidence-based practice reports, where they will do systematic reviews of literature on different topics. So there's certainly efforts towards high-quality, rigorous research, but there isn't sort of the same kind of regulated process. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, and, and the other way to think about that is like you know, Congress can pass whatever laws they want, and they aren't necessarily, you know, they are not bound to use data or analyses for that. So the way sort of these results and sort of methods and data um, may end up getting used is a little bit more through, again, either like white papers or sort of reports written for broad audiences, are again, ARC or some other agencies kind of try to make efforts to condense the literature and kind of get the takeaway points. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, Center for, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Studies, CMS, they have a fairly large sort of research group that studies some Medicare and Medicaid policies, uh, so they can use that for their purposes. But I think this is, you know, for me, this is one of the real challenges of this field is that how can, like, there isn't an obvious process for this, so mm-hmm. how do we make sure that decisions sort of at, you know, local, state, federal levels are being made on the basis of sound data and analyses, you know, and how do we get those policymakers to understand what what research they should trust and which one which they shouldn't, because uh, there isn't sort of a, an obvious clearinghouse or something for that. So is that, uh, do you think that's one of the, an ideal goal in trying to, so you mentioned that Congress doesn't necessarily have to pass laws based on data or analyses surrounding policies. So is that one of the ideal goals that Congress or other uh, legislative bodies would uh, more often use these kinds of analyses in, in, in defining laws? Just pe- speaking from my own personal perspective, I, I think, yes, you know, I like to think that decisions are made on a somewhat rational. I mean, there might be irrational reasons sometimes, but you'd hope that if there is data and evidence to inform some decision, that that does get taken into account. And maybe it's not definitive and it doesn't, you know, it's not necessarily the final word, but at least I would hope that there is high quality, rigorous research that could be informative that, that it would be used. Yeah. Well, 2018 features the 12th instance of the International Conference on Health Policy Statistics, and it takes place in Charleston, South Carolina, January 10th through the 12th. Well, what uh, ultimately led to the formation of this conference? Yeah, this is um, that's a great question, and um, basically, I think the the impetus originally was this new section and a desire to provide um, kind of a a convening place for people who are working in this area. You know, as I noted earlier, 
people come to health policy from a variety of different fields. And so this really provides a nice place, physical location and time, when people from economics or from, you know, health policy itself or from statistics can get together and talk about these topics. Uh, They didn't really have a, a home like that before this. It is technically the international conference. I will confess that it's been in the U.S. every time, at least so far. (laughs) I think there's a lot of hope uh, to have an international location, but at least so far, it's always been in the U.S. And as you know, this is the 12th one. They've been happening about every two years. So this is the 12th one, and they've been going for like 25 years or so. The, The first one actually was in 1995. So again, that was just about when the section was getting going. And what's interesting about that one is it was held at Mass General Hospital in Boston, and the keynote speaker was Michael Dukakis. Uh, oh, wow. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. They, you know, in the spirit of getting policymakers and statisticians in the same room, they were very successful <laughs> starting out. And, you know, again, the conference really does attract that kind of diverse audience. So health economists, there's uh, sometimes people who represent sort of healthcare payers like insurance companies or, or again sort of Medicare, Medicaid, healthcare providers. And for this upcoming conference, we're hoping for the first time to have some patient advocates and sort of community partners join as well to be able to make sure that we get that perspective at the meeting as well. Are there other uh, health policy groups? Um, so you're within the ASA being the health policy statistics section. Are there other scientific organizations that where the individuals tend to attend this conference? Yeah, I think the, the main one that I would say is uh, what's called Academy Health. Um, Academy Health is sort of a broad health services research organization, so it has a lot of the sort of health economists and policymaker types. And then ICHPS, is more on the statistician side. So Academy Health is big, and I've gone, and it's it's a really great meeting, but ICHPS is sort of the place for the statisticians in particular to sort of, <laughs> you know, people who really want to get into the into the details of the mm-hmm. data and analyses and things uh, and methods go. But that, certainly there's overlap with Academy Health. Academy Health, you can think of, is almost more like the JSM for health services research. I see. So it's just much bigger. I see it's just a little bit more intimate. So you haven't had the meeting uh, overseas yet or internationally. What proportion would you say of individuals uh, do come from other countries to attend the conference? Oh, that is a great question, and honestly, I don't know. My guess, well, I don't. I, I'm hesitant to give you a number because I really would be guessing. I will say anecdotally. In my experience, certainly we've gotten people from like the United Kingdom where mm-hmm. they have a very robust national health system and some statisticians from the UK have come. Uh, I've also interacted at the meeting with people from China and Korea and some Asian statisticians who work in this general area. So it's certainly not zero, <laughs> but I don't have a good sense for, for how much higher than zero it is. Greater than zero, less than the total number less of than attendees. Yeah. <laughs> Well, how much uh, do you think that plays a role in terms of, uh, I guess, better understanding the policies uh, within the U.S. in terms of examining the policies uh, of other countries worldwide? Does that play a role in trying to uh, determine policy or, or develop policy within the U.S.? Yeah, it's a good question. My my impression is that we, and the reason it sort of 
aspires to be an international conference is that I think people think that there could be a lot more to learn from other countries, but at least so far, we don't do a good job of that. Although I think on the statistical method side, you know, I think we are better. I'll maybe answer your question a different way and say, I think with statistical methods, we're quite good at sharing across countries. And so kind of how do we, how do we study policies? Uh, I think we're pretty good at that. The policies themselves, I think, are much harder to transfer. And that's partly just because the U.S. has a very different healthcare system from most other places. But again, the hope and the aspiration uh, is that we would figure out better ways to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, what does a, a typical conference look like? So it's usually about two, two to three days. I'll give a little bit more of the schedule in a second. But it consists of some short courses that happen both just before and just after the conference. And then, again, about two or so days of concurrent sessions with a mix of invited and contributed sessions. In terms of the exact structure for this upcoming one, because it changes a little bit year to year as the organizers kind of try to think through what they want to do and how to make it work. For this next one, there's going to be workshops during the day on the Wednesday and then the welcome and keynote late afternoon on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Then the sessions will be Thursday all day and Friday until about 3, and then from 3 until later that evening will be some final workshops for a couple more hours. Usually there's about four concurrent sessions going on sort of during that Thursday, Friday time. And again, it's a mix of invited and contributed. There's about two, 250 people. So it's again, it's kind of a nice size where you, you know, it's big enough that there's enough really interesting talks, but small enough that you can run into people and you can um, kind of feel like you're part of this community. One thing sort of on that note, one thing that this year's organizers have done is that in response to requests from previous years, people wanted actually more opportunities for, in some sense, kind of structured networking. Um, So not just a poster session where we all stand around and maybe chat with each other, but a little bit more, they're going to do sort of roundtables on Thursday afternoon. So they're going to have sort of leaders in the field host, you know, be seated at different tables around the room with the different topics. And then uh, the attendees can go and sort of talk with those people on sort of specific topics. And these topics might think, you know, some ideas uh, so far are things like research involving rural areas or case studies of these of methods that have been talked about. Um, so again, just a way to actually sort of in between a full-on session, like with presentations, and just a really informal networking. One other thing, I, and sort of on that note, one other highlight of the meeting um, is that the conference is, is it's a very social group and a fun group, so there's always time built in for socializing. And in particular, last year, maybe also before that, at least once, uh, we had the imposteriors perform. They're a statistic uh-huh. band. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so they're, you know, we find a bar nearby and they performed and we had a really fun uh, evening social event there. So again, it's a nice mix of kind of really high quality presentations, some sort of informal networking and things, and then some parties. <laughs> well, I, I think those uh, those kinds of things uh, are important. I mean, certainly having the uh, the scientific sessions, but I think it, it it is important for people to uh, statisticians and 
particularly to uh, let their hair down a bit and, and interact and, and, and have this sort of uh, develop this camaraderie with other statisticians and have some opportunities to meet people they wouldn't normally get to meet. Um, there's some benefit to that. Yep. <laughs> well, you mentioned short courses, and uh, I'm assuming there's some plenary speakers, maybe not Michael Dukakis this year, but uh, have you <laughs> have you identified uh, any plenary speakers or short course topics yet? Yes, we have. Uh, we have two plenary speakers, and, and I think actually the two of them capture kind of the spirit of the conference well. So one uh, is Rob Califf, who some of your members, I imagine, have heard of. He's currently professor of cardiology at Duke, but relevant for Biofarm in particular. He is former commissioner of the FDA. So, you know, he has a lot of experience with clinical research overall, you know, the Duke Clinical Research Institute. He's a PI of Duke's Clinical and Translational Science Award. He's been involved in PCORI and NIH. So, you know, I don't know what he's really going to talk about because he has a huge um, breadth of background, but I'm sure he'll give us a really interesting perspective on kind of the use of research in FDA and other decision-making sorts mm-hmm. of contexts. And then the other plenary speaker is actually uh, also from Johns Hopkins. So her name is Suchi Saria. And um, she's an assistant professor of computer science, uh, health policy management, and statistics. So she's trained as a computer scientist and studies statistical machine learning and precision medicine. So again, sort of earlier I mentioned, you know, how do we best use things like electronic health records? And so she's working in some of those areas around, like, electronic surveillance of adverse events in the inpatient setting and individualizing treatment for some complex chronic diseases like diabetes and prostate cancer. So again, the two of them, I think, capture the the spirit of the kind of interdisciplinary and and broad topics that the conference covers. In terms of short courses, there's a whole bunch. I think there's eight or so planned, eight to ten. And yeah, so quite a few. And they include things like sessions on specific data sets. So for example, on the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, which is called NHANES. There's another one on a different data set called the Medical Expenditure Panel Survey, MAPS. And those are ways that people can just learn about the data and, and how they could use it. There's some then on a little bit more methods so things like social network analysis, guidelines for observational comparative effectiveness research, and sort of using Python and healthcare analytics with big data. So um, a broad set of things, and you know, I think anyone would probably find at least one short course that they'd be interested in. Sure, sure. It sounds like uh, there's a lot to choose from. Now, is there a overreaching theme for this conference uh, this year? I mean, you, when we first started talking, you had mentioned the Affordable Care Act as you know something that's uh, obviously being discussed and debated. So is there a particular theme or, or does there tend to be a theme for each one of these conferences that has a major focus uh, in, in the program? Yeah, so they, they do have themes, although usually the themes are fairly broad. So in this case, the theme is health, statistical science, care, policy outcomes. So again, just sort of covering the key kind of broad topics that might be of interest. So uh, again, yeah, just sort of trying to show that the conference really is in some sense about breadth and covering a broad range of topics that, that are relevant. Well, obviously, this is the, the podcast of the biopharmaceutical section of the uh, ASA. 
And, and what do you see as the sort of overlaps, shared goals, or synergies that are between the biopharmaceutical section and the, the health policy statistics section? Yeah, I think there's a lot, uh, and I imagine, I didn't actually, I guess I don't have the ability to look this up, but I'd be curious uh, how many shared members we have. But some of the topics that I I think highlight the overlap um, are some of the things we've already mentioned, like pharmaceutical pricing. Again, Rob Califf being keynote speaker is kind of embodies the overlap. There's also like health policy decisions that really relate to biofarms. So things like health promotion, disease prevention, there anyone who's involved in the Sentinel project mm-hmm. um, or patient reported outcomes, those would all overlap. Um, meta-analysis is another potential area of overlap. One of my, uh, one of the co-chairs, uh, of the conference, actually I realize I, I should fully acknowledge them. So the two co-chairs for the conference are Laura Lee Johnson from FDA and Bonnie Gosh Destadar from RAND, uh, and they're really doing <laughs> really the bulk of the work for the conference. Uh, and one of them had pointed out to me that the biofarm workshop that's happening this September the theme is value to patients, benefits, risks, and costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really even that title, I think, to me and to her showed that that's really very much in line with the goals of HPSF. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of this idea of how do we provide uh, the best quality care while also potentially keeping costs down as much as possible. There'd be a lot of overlap. I mean, I think a difference between the groups is that HPSF members do work across a whole variety of areas that don't include biofarm, so, you know, maybe pure policy areas. But again, there's, I think, would be a lot of overlap for a lot of our members. Yeah, it's interesting you you brought up the workshop in September. There has been a lot of interest, I think, in the uh, pharmaceutical realm, or I I guess more appropriately, the the regulatory environment, in trying to get uh, a better handle on the perspective of patients into what kind of endpoints are important to them, uh, you know, what what their preferences would be for one treatment versus another. So mm-hmm. not just a matter of the efficacy, of course, would be important, but you know, there's certain side effects or uh, issues with having one treatment versus another. So I, yeah. I, I think that's something that uh, the biofarm section is definitely trying to address more. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, a great example. Well, last question, and this is uh, a bit future-looking. Uh, what do you envision as the biggest change to health policy statistics in the next five years? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I wish I knew the answer, but I think I think one of the main things is just sort of the rapidly changing healthcare environment with uncertain policy changes and uh, you know uncertainty around what things are going to look like, either at the federal or more local levels. So how do we, like, design rigorous studies of these sorts of policies when there's just a lot changing, again, at, at different levels? There's a lot of moving parts <laughs> right now. Again, I, I go back to this sort of, I think, a challenge for statisticians in general is, again, communication. How do we communicate data and evidence? I think we as a field, need to think a lot about how do we make sure that we're interacting and engaging with people who might use the sorts of methods and results that our methods yield. You know, kind of, again, this is uh, something I was talking about with Laura Lee and Bonnie, and I think we all agree that sort of for the health policy statistics world, at least, 
little toy examples that use like one little data set but don't and, you know and, and show some cool new method those are not really what's going to help move kind of the broader field forward. You know, I think there's more and more appreciation, even as you were just noting, with respect to patient-reported uh, or patient-centered research, you know, we want to make sure that the methods we're developing are, are relevant for the things that are important for patients and providers and policymakers. So kind of how do we work on methods that really help us get to those kind of end users? So that's, that's what I spend a lot of my time thinking about. Related to all this, do you, do you see any sort of resistance to statisticians or statistical methods? Do you, do you have the feeling that people may interpret what statisticians do as some sort of magical hand-waving to provide an answer to, to data sets or certain problems that um, may go against what people sort of assume to know is right? Yeah, I think we do have to be careful about that. I think we need to, um, and that's where I kind of think if we as a community can help people understand when to trust it or how to trust an analysis, sort of when do you know <laughs> whether you can trust some statistic or, you know, some number that someone's throwing at you, it's a hard thing to teach. But I think kind of helping teach data literacy and method literacy can be really important so that people can be sort of more savvy, savvy readers and users of, of that data. So, yeah, I think <laughs> we, we have to be careful about it, but, but I think that there's, there's things that we can do. Well, great. Well, thank you for your time today, Liz, and uh, good luck with the upcoming conference. Thank you. I hope that we'll see lots of your members there, and I uh, you know, would welcome any involvement or uh, further conversations as well. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. For more information on the Health Policy Statistics section of the ASA, go to community.amstat.org forward slash HPSS. And for more information on the 2018 International Conference on Health Policy Statistics, check out amstat.org forward slash meetings forward slash ICHPS forward slash 2018. Have an idea for a podcast? If so, get in touch with me at richard.zinc at jmp.com. Until next time.